Pontifax listeners, this is just a really quick housekeeping message up top to let you know that next week there will be no episode. I will be Halloweening super, super hard, and Fry is also quite sick, and we are trying to rebuild our backlog. And this was scheduled in our plans anyways because of Halloween. So just to let you know, we will be back on November 5th with a new episode, and trust me, it's going to be a good one. Now I hope you enjoy Pope Antares. Hello and welcome to Pontifax. I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 21, Pope Antares. Who? Is that two names? Is that one full name? That is one full name, Antares. And this is probably going to be our shortest episode to date, at least as far as the Pope goes, yeah. Okay. Well, just to, just to put this in context here, as we talked about last week, Antares's predecessor, Pontian, resigned the papacy in October 235 when he was arrested and exiled to die in Sardinia. Yep, he couldn't do his Pope work if he's in a mine. So that was October 235. And then we talked about Antares' successor briefly, Fabian, bringing back the bodies of Hippolytus and Pontian in 236. This leaves very little time for Antares to actually be Pope. So what's his uh, Tempest Pontificate gonna look like? Oh boy, trying to do the math on this one was a lot of fun. Sarcasm. Okay, so, <laughs> but who knows, maybe he's going to do something really, really memorable in his very, very short time. Uh, but... Unfortunately, considering that we also have to contend with the fact that this is such a short papacy, there are going to be very, very few sources to draw from. So let's see if he can excite us and delight us and... oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's start with his early life. Antares was born around 170 in Patilia Policastro in Calabria, Italy. And he was likely of Greek origin, since most of Patilia Policastro was settled by Greeks. So that kind of sort of indicates that maybe he was a Greek. However, his father's name was Romulus, which is about the most Roman Roman name. Yeah, that is the Romaniest Roman name. The Romaniest Roman name. Yes, it is. However, his name, Antares is another one of those names like Anacletus that suggests that he could have been a freed slave. There is some scholarly suggestion that he might have started life as a slave to a master called Romulus, rather than it being his father, and that he was eventually freed. Why not both? Well, I mean, would you keep your son as a slave? That would be a problem. I, I feel like America has done that. Satire. But anyways, the, one of the reasons that this may be true, again, is that Greek slaves were one of the highest prized slaves or the highest value slaves that you could have in Rome. So maybe Greek slave named Antares, and then you have a master who's Romany, Roman, Roman, and who knows. But if he was a slave, at some point, he was freed. It doesn't matter anyways. And then he came to Rome. And then he entered the church. And then he presumably rose through the offices of the church. And this is all we know. We're already onto his papacy and we're four minutes in. Yeah, we're going fast. It's a fast one. This whole part of Antares as Pope is about 
like one quarter of what I normally write in notes for these guys. So, oh no. When Pope Ponchin is arrested and exiled to Sardinia, he takes that unprecedented step of abdicating the papacy on September 28th, 235, to ensure that the church would be able to hold that election for a new pope and ensure ongoing stability for the church. Big deal, we discussed it at length last week. And what we know after that is that through this election process, and Terrace was chosen. So he assumed the papacy on November 21st. So again, we know that his papacy is going to be short. With that in mind, I'm going to ask you if you have any guesses for what he might do with that short papacy. Make a ruling on Easter. Blessedly, no. <laughs> we, are, we are moving away from Easter for a little bit. I am so happy, but that at least would have probably been more significant than what he actually does. Oh no. What he does is he creates one bishop. That's it. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Funnily enough, this is the bishop for Fondi, which is the city where Pope Soter was from. And I said, oh, it's going to come back a couple times. This is one of the times where we're going to talk about Fondi. Yay. There's a bishop for it now. All right. He made a bishop. And that's all we know for sure. Now, I'm just going to say this because, you know, we need to buff him up a little bit. There used to be an epistle that was credited to him that we could have talked about at length, but it has definitely been proven to be a forgery now, and nobody cares about it anymore, so the sources are not great on it. Literally nothing more about this man. Then he dies. Now, if the traditional dates are to be believed... Antares died on January 3rd of 236. So, like, three months later? It's 43 days. Oh. Six weeks. I've had uh, college semesters longer than that. <laughs> right? So, now we are going to enter speculation time. We can ask the question, how did Antares die so soon after becoming Pope? He had a stroke. Yeah, that's pretty much it. The sources all suggest that maybe it was the bad luck of natural causes. However, he is traditionally and still somewhat conventionally thought of as a martyr because, you know, token martyrdom is a thing that they like to do. Yep. He's actually still in the martyrology and is cited back to be in the martyrology in Father Alban Butler's time, and he's still there today. So he has a lasting legacy of being known as a martyr even if he isn't one. And Father Alban Butler gives us the quote, At Rome, on the Appian Way, the birthday of Pope St. Antares, who suffered under Julius Maximinus, was buried in the cemetery of Calixtus. If we take him as the conventionally accepted martyr status, it's a little more tricky to suss out why he might be a martyr, considering that the main source that we have that says anything at all about maybe being a martyr is the Liber Pontificalis. We know we're sourcing from wonderful places. So full of facts. It is so full of um facts. Can you see my air bunnies? Like it's <laughs> Did you just call them air bunnies? Yes, I've been watching a lot of Modern Family. <laughs> oh god. Side note, if you want to know anything about my life. Phil Dunphy is 100% my husband. I haven't. You haven't seen it? I haven't watched it. Oh my god, it's it's like watching my husband 
on television, we actually sit there and go, oh my god, are they spying on you to make jokes? <laughs> but circling back around, what the Liber Pontificalis says about Antares is that he was martyred because he had ordered for a collection of the acts of the martyrs to be collected and notarized for the archives of the church. So this includes seeking out the acts of martyrdom that had already been recorded, most notably by notaries under Pope Clement I, and that he wanted stricter investigation and writing practices on recording the acts of martyrdom. That seems like a really over-the-top reaction. Right, it's a little hard to wrap your head around that, you know, because the church is documenting its cases of martyrdom for posterity, that it leads to martyrdom. Someone's is a big cover-up. Yeah, it's, um, it's a little odd. And the other option is because maybe he just ended up in a situation like Ponchin did, as the new leader of the church, because Emperor Maximinus Thrax definitely would have seen him as a threat. He may have died because he was trying to collect records. He may have died because he had a stroke. He may have died in his sleep. He may have just irritated the emperor. Either way, he's dead. And he will be interred at the cemetery of Calixtus, like his predecessors. But he will be the first pope to actually be buried in that papal crypt within the cemetery of Calixtus. That special designated room just for the pontiffs. Nice. He gets to be the first. Now, he's not the earliest pope to be buried there because he was buried there before Pontian's body was returned to Rome. Pontian still ends up next door, and I don't know. I get the feeling that maybe the burial staff just really wanted Antares to have something to his name for future history podcasts in the future, you know. Because they knew what those were. Yeah, exactly. You know, they were thinking that one day maybe, maybe Antares will score a point on a papal history podcast because he was the first one to be buried in this special room. Maybe. I don't know. And looking at this, some sources say he's the first pope to ever be buried there at all, but clearly we know this is not true. We've been talking about popes that have been buried in this cemetery for a while now. But he does get to be the first in this new section, which is going to be very famous. It's something. Maybe. We could try and make it something. We can try. I just feel like I'm trying so hard to champion this man just wants to die quietly. Well, I mean, I don't think he wanted to die 43 days after becoming Pope. But, I mean, I am going to say now that there will be shorter Popes that we will cover. Bear that in mind. Now, sometime before 1595, probably a long time before 1595, we don't know exactly when, just sometime before that, Antares's body was moved out of the tombs and cremated and interred in the Church of St. Sylvester. And then he was forgotten about until November 17th, 1595, when Clement VIII was reconstructing the church and they rediscover his ashes. There's just forgotten popes everywhere. And this is a great point since this is such a short episode, because we've been talking a lot about how these popes have been interred in the Cemetery of Calixtus, and then they get moved to these churches. And... Obviously, one of the reasons that people are moving them into the churches is to gain prestige for the church. 
But the specific reason that they are being moved out of the cemeteries at the time that they are has more to do with the fact that at this time, the tombs of Calixtus are outside of the city walls of Rome, right? We've talked about this a little bit and how only the emperor and his family could have been buried within the city walls of Rome. So everyone else was buried outside. And this cemetery, of course, is way outside of the city center. So what happens when it's outside of the city walls is that when people come to invade and sack Rome, these people are all left vulnerable. If the people coming are pagans and they're coming to take over Rome or they're trying to wage war on Rome, they might think that it's a great idea to go and raid and pillage and desecrate Christian tombs. Whenever there was a threat, you would have bodies moved out of the tombs of St. Calixtus and moved somewhere where they could be safe. The churches within the city walls were a safer place for these bodies. Now when we talk about taking them out, even if we don't know when, it was probably because of some sort of external threat to the bodies or something had happened. And to be clear, the catacombs of St. Calixtus will be raided many, many, many times. That's not a very good thing to raid. There's not a lot of stuff in there. I mean, tell the Visigoths and everyone else who wanted to go to Rome. They just wanted to take everything. Just all the things? That's fair. Because, like, they're popes and other Christians being buried and not with a bunch of stuff. They're all a lot of poor people. At this point, yes, but these... Tombs in particular, like the Catacombs of St. Calixtus, will in the future become the site where they will hold holy masses. Alright, so it'll get fancier. But right now, it's not that fancy. I mean, even if you, when you go down there today, there are special chapels inside it, underground, where you can take on a, a mass or some type of holy commemoration. There are I think we passed at least four little chapels in the section that we went through. And because we were there when all of the altar boys were there, um, there was at least one that was occupied and they were singing and they were doing a service. That's a thing that still happens. So he got moved to St. Sylvester. They rediscover his ashes in 1595 when they're reconstructing the church. And then in 1854, his tomb within the catacombs of Calixtus was one of the ones to be excavated by Giovanni Battista de Rossi. This is one of the first times that they actually go in and do a full archaeological excavation in 1854. An inventory, as it were. And Giovanni Battista de Rossi, he's come up a couple times. We've just kind of mentioned him. He is like the father of religious archaeology over there. We went into several museums where there are busts of him as well. So he's quite well known. When they went in, they found Antares's epitaph stone, and it was damaged, and it was in rough shape, and his name wasn't visible, and all that could be legibly read off of it was the word episc, which is the Greek word for bishop, although then through the process of historical investigation and the specificity of his location, they could determine which pope it belonged to, so... This poor, unknown, very short Pope man has a poor, broken, damaged epitaph stone. Oh, well. It's a little bit sad. Par for the course, I guess. Well, on that note, we need to rate him. Oh, no. Papatum infallium. What can we credit him for here? Well, 
He made one bishop. It's the Bishop of Fondi, so maybe it's slightly more important. Not really, no. There's no way he can score here unless we give him the reconciliation of the schism of Hippolytus that we were talking about last week, since Ponchin and Hippolytus had reconciled, but the absorption of the schismatics happened maybe under Antares. I have a feeling it might have happened under whoever the next pope is. It, it might have. But things are, are not going to sit well there, and he's going to have a lot of stuff that he's going to score on. So I'm just going to give Antares one point just in case. One point just in case. So that's one from you and one from me, or one? Yes. Okay. So he gets a two for Papatopan Valium. Yay, he has point. And then we take them away. <laughs> well. Fructus prohibitum. He, he doesn't have any scandal of his own, but... Maybe he was murdered for his efforts with the Axe of the Martyrs? I don't know if a conspiracy theory is a scandal so much as... I know. I'm reaching out on a limb. I've got to give this guy my best effort. I think it's got to be a zero. Seculari impactum. I am definitely going to give him a point here for being the first pope to actually be in the official crypt of the popes in the Catacombs of Calixtus, because... That's something we're still talking about. That's fair. I'll give him a point for that, too. All right, so he gets a two. He gets to go in that nice, fresh crypt. He sure did. Fossium Sanctus. Okay. Well, for somebody who did not exist for very long, we still have those lovely apocryphal pictures of his face. All right, let's see him. Let's see this man. This man. Well. Don't send me a Jafif. <laughs> Well, this one's a, J a JPEG, so it's small. The, yeah. His his uh, expression, he has another one. I'm going to send you this one. It'll be easier to judge on, but the facial expressions are exactly the same. Are these the side eye? It's, um, it's a grumpy looking man. Yeah. They're also grumpy. I guess they're supposed to be stoic and regal or something. I don't know. Stoic is supposed to be neutral, though. This is definitely grump. <laughs> He's got quite a definitive nose with that brow bone above the eyebrows. It comes all the way down. Is he interesting to look at? Uh, like, if this man, like, stole my purse, I would not be able to describe him. Yeah, I mean, hmm. All he's got is that nose and that brow bone. I gotta give him, like, a one. Yeah, I'll, I'll be nice and give him a two, because... Because he's got nothing else? Yeah. He's also not missing any body parts. Yeah, he looks like a decent dude. It's just not exciting. So that gives him a 0 0.75 for Facium Sanctus. Tempus Pontificus. Well, this is going to be no surprise because we've already talked about it and we have exact dates. So November 21st, 235 to January 3rd, 236, which is 43 days. And this is where it got complicated, because normally we round to the year. But we can't, we cannot give him a full year for this. There is no way that we could give him a full year for this. And I do not want to round it to a zero, because that is not, that we can't give him a zero for the time that he served. He still actually was Pope, even if it was only for like a month. So... What I have decided from this point forward, because it is the first time that this happens, we're going to round to the nearest quarter of a year. 
he gets 0.25 years, which gives him a score in this category of 0.0625. He gets winter. That's what he gets. It's, yeah, it's, it, it made me sad to see all these numbers on my beautiful spreadsheet, but that, that's what it has to be, so. Now I get to ruin them again by giving you weird fractions. You're gonna give me half points? Nope. All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round! Yes, he is a saint, because he's also a token martyr, right? His feast day is January 3rd, because that is the day he died. Unsurprisingly, he is not a patron saint of anything at all. So, I think absolutely we need to make him one. Conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories, alright. Alright, I mean, that would make him a lot more popular than he is now. It sure would. I mean, that might actually give him something to to actually bring him back into the modern world, so I like it. You will now be the patron saint of conspiracy theories. Now that we have that, we need to look at his final score. Oh, is it very- don't, don't, don't make this sad now, you know. <laughs> he has scored 5.8. 8125. Alright, keep that in mind. I want to see if anyone gets lower. That is currently our lowest Pope. He has scored less points than Sixtus did. Ooh, wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so sad. You are our bottom scorer for now. I have a feeling, considering how little that some of the other Popes will last, unless they do something very, very scandalous in their, like, very short reigns, like, kill somebody... They could. It's possible, but I do think that maybe this will not make him the lowest scorer ever. So, I mean, I don't know if I have to ask the question is... Just skip it. Yeah, no. And Harris, I don't think you have what it takes for a papable. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. What am I talking about? It, it just... It is what it is, so... But this is not going to be such a short episode. Because it's time for Pope Watch. Oh, we got some Pope Watch. We have some Pope Watch because Pope Francis has been a very busy man over the summer and over the last few weeks. We are just going to do a very brief Pope Watch to summarize some of the events that happened. And before we get into it, I am going to say very clearly that we are not going to go into super, super in-depth about the this current scandal that's going on because all of the information is not there yet. We will cover the announcements that have been made about it really briefly, but we're not digging into the whole Vigano story yet because the information is not yet clear. With that in mind, the first thing that we are going to talk about is the papal visit to Ireland that happened on August 25th and 26th of this year. I saw he had a train, a knit train statue or something. Crochet? Yes, that was awesome. Someone had crocheted a Pope Francis, and I don't know if he got to see it or not, but it was amazing. This was the first time that a Pope has been to Ireland since 1979. And it was specifically because he was going to Dublin to address the World Meeting of Families. And while in Dublin, he met with the president in the presidential residence. He gave a speech from Dublin Castle and held greetings at St. Mary's Pro Cathedral. 
had a private visit with the Day Center for Homeless Families ran by the Capuchin Fathers, and finished the day with the family of festivals in Croke Park Stadium. Then he traveled to Nock, where he delivered an Angelus at the Chapel of the Nock Shrine, went to Phoenix Park in Dublin again for a Holy Mass, met with the Bishops of Ireland in the Convent of the Dominican Sisters, and then went back to Rome. Seems like a busy time. It was two days. It was was a pretty busy trip. But it was nothing compared to the (laughs) papal visit to the Baltics that happened just last week. On September 22nd, Pope Francis was in Vilnius, Lithuania, where he met with the president and government authorities and visited the shrine of the Mary Mother of Mercy. He met with young people in the city cathedral square and gave a speech. On September 23rd, he visited Kaunas to give homily and Angelus at Santakos Park, and he met with the Lithuanian bishops and gave a speech from Kaunas Cathedral. On September 24th, he visited Riga in Latvia, met with the president and the government authorities, gave a speech, attended a ceremony to place flowers at the Freedom Monument, and then gave an ecumenical prayer at Riga's Lutheran Cathedral, and then visited the Catholic Cathedral of St. James. And then on September 25th, he flew to Tallinn in Estonia to meet with the president and government authorities, give a speech, meet with young people in the Carly Lutheran Church, and meeting with people who were receiving assistance from church charitable services, and then gave a mass and homily in Freedom Square and headed home. So that's a really, really busy trip for our Pope Francis man. Yeah. And then... On September 12th, the Pope called a meeting for Catholic bishops in Rome for February of 2019 to address the sexual abuse scandal and dealing with the sexual abuse committed by priests in the church and how to prevent sexual abuse. And the official quote here is, The Holy Father, after hearing the Council of Cardinals, convened a meeting with the presidents of the Episcopal Conferences of all the world to speak about the prevention of abuse of minors and vulnerable adults. The College of Cardinals said the meetings would happen in February and that, during their just-concluded meeting with Francis, the Council reflected extensively together with the Holy Father on the theme of abuse. So, in February, this is going to be something that we're going to try and cover in a lot more detail because by then we'll be getting actual information about church action. Now, speaking of church action, the last thing we are going to cover in this section of Pope Watch happened on September 28th, so just a couple days ago, where Pope Francis laicized a Chilean priest who was one of the central figures in the Chilean sex abuse scandal that came to light earlier this year. And if you don't know what laicized means... Uh, it sounds like like unpriesting them. That's exactly what he did. He unpriested this man. The The other phrase that's been thrown around a lot is defrocking. Yeah, but that sounds rude, considering. That's why I went with laicized, because it's the official word. What they say is Pope Francis invoked his supreme authority because of the exceptional amount of damage the priest crimes had caused for the good of the church. So the priest is 88-year-old Fernando Caradima, and he had originally been sanctioned in 2011 to a lifetime of penance and prayer for his crimes in Santiago, Chile. Now, this 
this whole, you know, lifetime of penance and prayer has been a regular sentence handed out to bishops who have been found guilty of the sex abuse of children in the church, but for obvious reasons has been considered way too lenient and unacceptable. There have been a lot of calls for people like Karadima to face much, much harsher punishments. So Francis is now imposing this harsher sentence based on the findings of the recent investigation of abuse and cover-ups in the Chilean clergy that he started earlier this year. And then when he announced that this was going to be what he was implementing, he also apologized to the victims again, who he had met with during the investigation. And interestingly, as much as this is making the news, this is the second defrocking or laicization that's come out of this investigation. So this has already happened once before with Francis. And the first was Jamie de Fonesca, who was laicized in August during the Vatican's Congregation of the Clergy. He's not putting up with it. Yeah, he's, he's at least um, looking for ways in which to take some action. At this time, during the investigation around the Chilean bishops, what happened was all of the Chilean bishops were called to Rome, and all of them were required to write a resignation letter at the beginning of the investigation. And then Francis said when the investigation was done, he would either accept or reject the resignations based on what he found. We now have two laicizations and seven resignations have also been accepted by Francis. So those people are now resigned of the church. And there are now calls for Pope Francis to move forward with similar action against the American ex-cardinal McCarrick, who is at the center of what is currently being discussed. We may see that happen, but we cannot speak or hypothesize anything more than that because there is a lot of talk that is going to happen before action is committed, but at least just the facts. Exactly. We are pontifex, not pontiff speculation. Opinions. Yeah. We are not pont opinions. But either way, I think what's going to happen is with this council being called in February, that's when all of the news is really going to come out. If you're interested in this story and you want to see it followed, that's that's when we're going to look to do it. That's Pope Watch. And now after that um, slightly gruesome-ish ending for topics, we have thank yous to make. Oh, geez. The thank yous this week that we are going to look at are specifically for people who mentioned us on International Podcast Day which was September 30th, we got a lot of love directed our way. And so we would like to thank the History of Spain podcast, the Age of Victoria podcast, the Hellenistic Age podcast, Totalis Rankium, Footnoting History, and the American History podcast. So thank you all very much for showing us some love. We also need to thank Shabtai Atlo, who let us know what the Feast of the 4th, the 5th, the 7th, and the 10th meant last week, which, interestingly enough, it's referenced from the Bible in Zechariah 8.19, and the word that was missing in the Liber Pontificalis was month. So the fast of the 4th month, the 5th, the 7th, and the 10th makes a lot more sense. I'm just going to read the Bible verse here. It says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore love the truth and peace. 
that's what they were talking about in that. So now we have an answer. And this to me is very interesting because you get an example of how primary sources change things. If just that one word had been included, the context would have been very clear. But as Shabtai pointed out, the people who would have been reading the sources at the time would have been innately Christian and probably very familiar with the Bible, which we as secular lay people are not as quickly versed in. So it goes to show cultural tides change things. Thank you for letting us know. That was really cool. We can be found on most major podcatching platforms, including Spotify. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook as Pontifax Pod. Feel free to message us. We usually always respond. If you want to send us a more long-form message, request, or otherwise get a hold of us, our email is pontifaxpod at gmail.com. For our bonus episodes and exclusive content, head over to our Patreon page and donate. That's patreon.com forward slash pontifaxpod. If you feel the need to buy us a tea, because we're not really coffee drinkers, but we do love tea, you can throw us a few bucks in our PayPal account at paypal.me forward slash pontifaxpod. As always, please subscribe and rate and review on iTunes or whatever you use. It really helps us get recommended to other people and allows more people to find us. And then we can say thank you and goodbye. Bye. Bye.